there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, happy Saturday to y'all. Wolfgang Klein here, host of Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money, about finances, about preserving wealth, about growing wealth, about managing taxes, managing expenses, and having a whole lot of fun. A great quote I have for you, my good friends, and the quote is, it's not about looking rich, it's about being rich. Uh, And that's what it's all about. And uh, those who are rich, those who drive those inexpensive cars and aren't too flashy, sometimes they store their money in some other odd items beyond stocks and bonds that Jack and I like to talk about. But no, they want a store of value and the new store of value we may be familiar with. And I don't know if it's a store or not. It's called cryptocurrency. Used to be gold, then cryptocurrency. But uh, some old money and some new money and some savvy money likes to uh, buy some things called collectibles. Uh, Vinyl, for example. You know that Nevermind, excuse me, Nirvana, uh, vinyl, limited edition bleach vinyl. Uh, Jack's telling me it went for about 1500 bucks. Uh, David Bowie's Diamond Dog uh, vinyl, uh, airbrush version, thirty five hundred bucks. Limited edition Let It Be record, thirty five thousand dollars. But it had to have a serial number and be one of the original pressings for the band members or management of the Beatles. But that would be a nice little fetch. And a friend of ours just purchased himself a nineteen fifty six Corvette. Uh, original price thirty four hundred. Purchase price today ninety thousand dollars. Compounded rate of return on that, Jack. I ran the numbers, 5.5%. So that's not a bad store of value if, you know, for the last, what, 60 years? We, I would say we talked about it in the office. In terms of store of value, it's better than, I think, 99% of the, the other cars that were produced that year because it actually is worth something today. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, but the uh, the key is with, with collectibles, I have learned. And it's simple. It's economics 101. It is supply and demand. Um, so the... Vet that you want to buy, if you want to buy a collectible vet, is the 1953 vet because only 300 were made versus the 56. There were there were 10 times more made, 3,400. Uh, but the 1953 vet, which by the way is the first year the uh, Chevrolet released the Corvette, uh, uh, recently sold for some 660 thousand um, dollars. But if you buy a car, you got to store it in a garage. And if you got a whole lot well, of money, well, you get to enjoy it though, too, Wolf. With the with the vehicle, you can certainly uh, get out and enjoy it. And I think the the gentleman that bought it in our office, he's not looking for it as a store of value. He's also looking for it as something that he can get out and enjoy with his family, and then go out for a, a cruise in the summer. He is going to be driving that puppy, baby. Absolutely. I cannot wait to see him drive. I cannot wait to see him. But, but for say, ninety grand, that is not a bad shake when you think about it. But uh, and then and then you pivot over to art collections. People get to not only use them as a store of value. They get to put them on the wall, and obviously if it's something they can really appreciate and enjoy every day. Well, we just had a few big art auctions actually in the city of Toronto, and the big one, of course, was the uh, Heffel uh, auction, uh, which I uh, walked through, not because I was going to store some value. I was maybe going to try to steal some value, kidding. Uh, But at the design exchange, uh, I had the privilege of walking through the Heffel uh, display just to see what was up for auction, and uh, it was actually a real eye-opener, I must say. Uh, some interesting pieces, uh, some less than desirable pieces, and some expensive pieces I saw. Um, a good friend of mine uh, walked me through it who's knowledgeable about the art business. 
it's funny he's a, he's a lawyer and it seems like a lot of lawyers are into art uh, for various reasons but uh, I think it was one of the first times that Canada actually had a Matisse for sale and the Matisse uh, I'm not even sure when this piece was created uh, Robert Heffel who's on the line with us by the way he's the vice president of Heffel Auction uh, but so you had the Matisse uh, Robert uh, on display yeah. that was fun to see and I looked in your catalog and the uh, range of price or the uh, what, what do you call it no, not the list price what's the first price um the minimum bid i guess the uh the reserve the auction estimate the auction estimate that was published in the catalog yeah so that was what 3.5 to four and a half million dollars for that you're close 3.8 to 5.8 and but uh, there were no takers eh? so the hammer never came down on that puppy uh, that, that that work did not sell the night of the auction. We did have a very successful sale. It was uh, a $16.5 million art auction, which uh, which in Canadian terms is one of the one of the largest. We we Heffel had the largest ever Canadian auction in Canadian history, over 40 million, fall 2016. But um, yeah, it was a very good sale this uh, past spring, and um, we set a number of records, and there were a number of pieces that sold for. Uh, some big prices. So, yep. so, so three point eight to five point eight was. Uh, you, what would you call it? Was it like the reserve, the minimum bid that you could put in? Uh, the minimum bid is um, below. Um, most art auctions do have reserves. Uh, there was a reserve on the Henri Matisse, and it was it would be under the uh, low low estimate. The reserve is a confidential minimum that uh, that a work won't um, won't sell below the reserve. The um, the reserves are never higher than the low estimate. Um, so, so if we if we esti- in, in our catalog, if you see a painting that's estimated twenty to thirty thousand uh, dollars, the reserve um, has to be below below I twenty see. or lower. Typically, the reserves are ten to twenty percent below the low estimate. Sometimes, you know, the occasional work has no reserve. Um, sometimes the reserves are as low as fifty percent. Um, but our, in art auctions, reserves are actually are quite typical. Um, it's a it's a minimum price that you know a lot of the um, artworks can sign from f- families, estates, corporations, and they they like to have a, at least a minimum uh, if it doesn't achieve that. But our estimates tend to be um, on the conservative side, and so you people show up and buy some great art. You know, you had the uh, the Steinberg estate uh, on display. I remember the Steinberg family back here in Ontario when I was a little boy with the Steinberg grocery chain. I'm not sure if it was the same family. That's right. I'm, 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 assuming, it was the, I'm assuming that was the same family, a Western-based yeah, yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was that. So did, did someone pass away and they had to basically clear the contents of the house and or did this have too much of it? it was just bust- from, um, yes, yes, yes. It was property from the estate of Blema and uh, Arnold Steinberg who were uh, very important Montreal collectors, but that was the Steinberg grocery, grocery uh, store chain that um, is no longer, um, no longer in existence. Yeah. Very well known uh, Montreal family and collectors. And um, they, um, Arnold passed away. And then shortly after his wife, Blima passed away, where they were, they were some of the top 200. They were listed as one of the top 200 collectors in the world by art, uh, art news. And uh, they had a, a very large collection of international um, names, but also Canadian art. And we had ten, we had ten works in the live sale from um, from um, from the estate. And um, uh, I and, believe and, and, and so the ag- yeah, the uh, aggregate value of that was what six million dollars. Six million dollars for ten we pieces. We also had <laughs> no good? sold. Everything sold. All ten works sold. The 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 highest two works in the. Um, 
in the collection were by Jean-Paul Riappel, who's one of Canada's most famous abstract painters. Who I saw his work. He was a phenomenal painter, and mm-hmm. he was in Paris in the 1950s at the forefront of modern art. And uh, he had two the two paintings from the Steinberg estate, um, each sold for 2.2 million. Wow! Uh, stay in our stay in our class, so, kids. I'm telling you, stay in our class. You never know. Uh, we're on the line here with uh, Robert Heffel. Uh, uh, Vice President of Heffel Auctions, um, a place for collectors and uber-wealthy to uh, rub shoulders, I guess, and talk about art. Rough, rough, and I love that piece. It's just so emotional. Uh, or they're just there for the money, store their money. Who knows? It's a very, very interesting business. And, uh, well, James Bond thought it was quite intriguing. And da-dum, ba-boom. Uh, it is Hi-Fi Radio. We're talking about money. We're talking about store of value. Uh, we're going to pay some bills around here and get right back with Robert Heffel, the Vice President of Heffel Auctions, and just talk about uh, how we can uh, make some money trading art on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, indeed. Drink to your health, my good friends. Good morning to you. It is Hi-Fi Radio, Saturday morning on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein, host of this money show called Hi-Fi Radio. little high fidelity I was weaved in just to set the stage for our next, our current guest, I should say, uh, Mr. Robert Heffel. He's the vice president of Heffel Auctions. Um, you know, there's so many different places to place your money, and diversity is a good thing. Uh, Jack and I really believe in diversifying um, clients' assets to have a solid foundation and a strong structure that will withstand the test of time. Uh, and once you get to enough money, well, you may get bored of stocks and real estates and you want other places to put your money. Uh, cars, guitars, vinyl, uh, or art. Um, that Matisse painting that uh, we were talking about, uh, Robert Heffel just informed me, uh, was produced in 1919 um, by none other than Matisse and uh, on auction for three million bucks it's still available listeners so you know if you got three three milski from oh I don't know some marijuana deal that you cashed in on you may want to buy a Matisse and store your money uh, or not um, I do have a question about that Matisse Wolf go ahead because well, we got Robert it, on the line. It, he's the expert in our markets, spreads are very tight. Okay, so uh, a spread is what you're, what people are willing to bid. So bid for something and then ask, willing to sell it for. So they're within. Uh, well, the Royal Bank stock would have a spread of one penny. Penny, yeah, exactly. Uh, Amazon would have a spread of one penny. Right. This Matisse. So the <laughs> estimate on the Matisse is three point eight to five point eight, which sounds like almost a fifty percent spread in terms of value. And uh, I would just say. It sounds like a very treacherous market to me that you could really get turned upside down if you don't know what you're doing in. So um, how do you, how would you say that people should go about researching and um, developing valuations for these types of artworks? Because uh, like I said, with a spread like that, you can certainly overpay for something. Yeah, and I want to compound that if you don't mind before we go into that, Robert. I want to compound that question because, again, um, here at home, you know, the first place a Canadian tends to invest in art is with Group of Seven. And uh, Charles, who walked me through your gallery, said, Wolfgang, there's some Group of Sevens that have sat at $20,000 for 20 years, have not moved in price. Whereas other pieces of the Group of Seven, and he said, you have to find the ones with clouds in them. They're all about clouds. And this particular painter is all about the fields, the waving f- If you got the fields, you get the value. So that's the, there are such nuances in this stuff, Robert. How can you help educate the audience a little bit to 
prevent them from making a catastrophe, a catastrophic financial error in terms of overpaying for a piece of art. Especially if it's something emotional, which art can be. You, you love a piece of art, looks fantastic on the wall, but maybe it's not worth what you expect. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, number one, uh, art, is, uh, art, uh, art is not a stock. We don't, we don't talk in terms of spreads and, um, and the penny difference between a bid on a roll bank. And, and um, so that, 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 that is that, that, Is that verboten? Is that verboten language around you guys? That, that is your market. That's not, that's not Okay, so, no, so, so, what's your, so tell about, us about your market. What, what I would market? say with that, what I would say with that, Wolfgang, is the stock market is a very efficient market where it's challenging to find real value. Nope. Flip it around. If the art market is not as efficient, if you know what you're doing, you can really uncover some jewels there. Agreed. There, there, no, no question about it. Yeah, you, the arb, you can arb the deal. So how can we arb art? I think I think that's actually a very good point. I mean, we, we at Heffel, we're, we're, we're always we're trying to bring transparency and we do bring transparency and efficiency mm-hmm. to the market. Uh, but it's true. The art market would uh, would not be as efficient as as the stock market. The now when you look at our auction catalogs and we have the we have a presale estimate of 10 to 15,000 on a on a work of art or or say we have an AJ Casson that's estimated at 20 to 30,000 that we we know is fair value. Mm-hmm. So if you got the painting in that estimate you would be doing very well and you're buying at Heffel when you're buying pieces in our live auction or on, online auction you're buying good names and those good names do have value and over a long period of time, people do very, very well with their paintings. I don't think paintings should be, and we do have clients that have done this, I think paintings should be thought of more of, of a, generational, a generational asset. So when you buy a great work of art, if you can hang it on your wall and enjoy it for your lifetime, and the people that will really reap the benefits are, is, are your children or your estate. You know, isn't uh, that, you know, because I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know, Robert, beyond art, um, so you're saying basically art is, what I'm reading here, is difficult in the shorter term to predict. But if you can hold it for 20, 30 years, i.e. like the Steinberg family did, they must have made money on that, uh, on that art trade. And they have, they, that estate would have to pay significant capital gains tax. Did you help them with that? And how big of a capital gain did the Steinberg family have on that estate sale? Um, the Steinberg family did phenomenal on their art collection, but they were very, very serious collectors. So it was their passion. And, um, you know, I don't think either of them were, they, they, they bought the best and they were very interested in owning the best and, and they, and, and, and it's their children that are going to benefit. But the, so, I mean, look, if you buy a painting and you, you know, you change your mind, fine, but over, it's better to, to buy and hold your paintings for a while. I would suggest it's also better for your listeners to buy good names that have a resale value. So, so when I say that artist names that trade in the secondary market, not all art trades in the secondary market, like the new contemporary, some of the new contemporary art and gallery, there is no resale market. So what we're in, in auction is the secondary market. And at least then, you know, you know, there's a, there is a resale value, but, but art should be thought of a great art, now, great art is a good place to put your money, and great art, I think, should be thought of over over a, over a longer term time horizon. Now, I, I agree with you. Know, I agree with you. I understand the stock market's the same. We, it is, you know, and the there, there are so many similarities there, Robert. So you, you say you look at stocks, you say you buy a, pay a fair price, you buy quality, yeah. you think long term. Yeah. 
and you're going to be just fine. So yeah. I think there's more similarities than you think. I, I agree. Despite well, the fact that they're, you know, the I, art collection I, or the I, art market's not as efficient as the stock market. Yeah. No, no, but, Yeah, look, 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 so, Robert, hang so around. Hang, get emotional. Yeah. Right, hang around, Robert. I'm, I'm not dropping the hammer on you. I want to keep you on the show here, but we do got to. I'm, I'm getting the hand. Uh, the, my producer's dropping the hammer on my head right now saying, Wolf, come on. Uh, so let, let's. Uh, I'm really digging this conversation here. It's cool. Uh, Robert Heffel, okay. the vice president of Heffel Auctions. If you're into collectibles, if you want to learn a little bit more about another means of investing and storing value, uh, stay tuned to Hi Fi Radio. More of it right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. It's a show about wealth. It's actually a really fun show, I think, and we like to weave a little music in there. Played a little Bob Dylan, uh, because if you were to Google world's rarest albums up for auction, we're talking about storing value in other things other than stocks and bonds. Don't know why you would do that, but hey, if you're that so inclined, uh, maybe a little real record, a little vinyl, uh, that record, Bob Dylan, freewheeling uh, at auction, uh, a rare release up for $35,000. That's not bad. That Matisse, if you couldn't afford the Matisse for three Milski, maybe some Bob Dylan instead. Uh, a little older, but you know what I've gotten is when it comes to collectibles, it gets down to supply and demand. Certainly when it comes to rare guitars or rare cars or rare records. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the Group of Seven work, it's rare, but there's a lot of them, right? How, how much Group of Seven inventory exists in the world would you uh, estimate, Robert? Um you know, it's uh, there were there were seven original members of the group of seven, and then and then there were um, members. There was a member that quit, and members that joined later. So the group seven is actually the group of eleven because it's it's three more plus Tom Thompson, mm-hmm. uh, Lauren Harris, an artist in a lifetime of pro- they're prolific. They they will they will do about two or three thousand works of art. But Tom Thompson is not a member of the group seven, but he he died before the group was officially formed. He, Thompson died quite young, so uh, his paintings are more rare. Now, uh, there's a in the art market, rarity for Thompson has worked out well. Van Gogh is obviously very rare um, because they're so world famous, but rarity can... There needs to be enough art uh, of the artist's work out there to trade. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Preferably every season. If they never trade, rarity can actually can actually hurt. The, if they're so rare that they never trade, then then there's nothing to drive the market. No, so, isn't that interesting once again? So you, you want to be rare but not too rare. Uh, be different but not too uh, different. You know something that always crossed my mind about art, and yeah. I say this because when I was traveling once to uh, – well, I ended up in France, and I, went, I can't remember the little. I went to a beautiful little town, and um, I think it might have been Ron Wood. Uh, and it was one of the members of the Rolling Stones had a little uh, chateau. It was in the gated community, an old medieval 1650 village. And I stumbled across an Andy Warhol uh, piece yeah. signed by Andy. And if I'm not mistaken, it was of right. Mick Jagger. It was a Andy okay. Warhol painting or sketch of Mick Jagger. And I think it was going for a print of. Yeah, it may have been. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is it, then again, there's a language barrier between the, uh, the, the gallery and myself. But I, I believe the price might have been fifteen thousand euro or twenty five thousand euro. Okay. And I said, gee, that yeah. doesn't sound like a lot of money. But the first thing that went through my mind is, I'm a foreigner. I'm in a foreign country. Is it a fake? 
So let's talk about art fraud for a second. And more importantly, the reputation and what you get when you buy or trade through Robert Heffel and Heffel Auction. Is there a form of authenticity? Is, is your stuff insured and guaranteed that you're at least getting the original Matisse if you drop 3.5 Milski? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, that, that is the most important question. Obviously, um, value has to be, the work has to be authentic. At Heffel, we bring the, we physically bring the works in ourselves. We catalog them. We've, we, we, we are, we're physically dealing with and we do the research and we document. The Matisse, that work comes with a, a certificate of authenticity and is a documented painting in, in a catalog resume and there's a number of books. So we, we are experts in the art market, and we take a lot of time and expertise vetting each and every single painting that goes through Heffel. And, and I mean, it is a valid question, but when you're dealing with a, um, a major art auction house, um, that's our job. Our job is to is for expertise and um, there is a there is a there is an online marketplace that other people are posting things on. That's not what that's not vetted. I mean, when when and I don't want to say the company name, but the um, you know we physically bring. We also do monthly online auctions, but we run our online auctions the same way as our live auctions. We we physically get the work in. We you know review the provenance, the history, um, and. And and authentic, authenticity is the most important thing. And you know, we um, years ago we read a book um, called. Um, gee, now I'm, I'm going. Uh, oh, it was a great book. Um, uh, we read a book called Provenance, and it 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 it, it, it for our whole com- we we for a whole company it sort of was a. Um, I and mean, we were always very careful, but it, after reading that book, it made us even more careful. And, and it, it just, you know, we, 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 we all have to feel comfortable with the painting. A lot of it is to do with the provenance and the history, and, you know, it traces back to the artist. So we can, and Canadian art doesn't have a big problem with authenticity because it's, it doesn't, Canadian art is a little bit younger. It starts in, um, you know, like the group of sevens and 1920 art, you, you can trace back provenance to the 1920s. Now, now let's, let's talk about that because, um, again, it, it, we, we live in a flat world. Information moves very, very fluidly today. Um, and, you know, relative value does matter. Uh, you know, Jack and I are comparing our railway stock to American railway stocks, our tech stocks to American tech stocks for relative value. Uh, and what I right. have been told by my friend Charles, who walked me through your uh, uh, exhibit, uh, was on a relative value basis in Canada, Canadian art actually is cheaper compared to French art and other international works. Is that true? Is there a value biased to our art? Uh, and the second point, because I'm going to tie that into is, will Canadians continue to care about Group of Seven? Because that seems to be what we have. We have the Group of Seven plus some peripheral artists. But again, I'm quite ignorant towards the topic of art. So can you briefly speak to those two uh, questions? I mean, certainly um, Canadian art, we've long said that Canadian art's undervalued in a world stage. I said half a word. We're, we're introducing international artists into our art auctions along with their Canadian peers, mm-hmm. and that brings in it more international buyers. The Canadian dollar at 75 cents. Yeah, is it's cheap. It's like, it's like just like our real estate, and that's why the same thing, that isn't it? Our, uh, that puts our group of seven and our Canadian artists at a discount for um, yeah. 
for foreign buyers, and we do sell foreign, we do sell Canadian art to foreign buyers. But you know that market could be um, that market. That market needs to be developed bigger, and we should be proud of we should be proud of Canadian art and Canada as a country. We should be we should we we should embrace exporting Canadian art and culture internationally. Um, now we need um, we need a little bit of support on that, but um, that that is important in in the. In the 50s, when it was um, the cold, War, the height of the Cold War, the Americans really promoted their um, their artwork internationally and, and the abstract expressionists, and that was all about freedom. And the Soviets were painting this kind of social realist art, and they were promoting that. And of course, the Americans won. And I think Canada should do the same. We should be we should we should be promoting our Canadian art internationally and growing our art market both in Canada international and we're at Heffel we're part of a um, uh, an ecosystem we're, we're not going to do this on our own but this is something this is something we should all embrace and 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 work towards it. All but, right, Robert, I got to drop the hammer on you, but let me hit, let me hit you with the hammer. But we're gonna bring you back, dude. Okay, because I'm getting I'm getting the rap as well. But I want to come back to you and stay on topic here. So, Robert Heffel, Vice President, Heffel Auctions, Collectibles, Art. Canadiana, we have it all on Hi-Fi Radio. More of it right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Put the people in my brain Two new pens to have a go I'd like to be a gallery Put you all inside my show There we go. Andy Warhol. You know, Jack, I'd like the Rolling Stones, like Mick Jagger, to write a song about Wolf, about the Wolf on Bay Street. That would be so cool. Hey, that's song. all you want? Just a, yeah, just that's a it. I'm a simple guy. Just get this, you know, that, that would be, you know, David Bowie writing a song about, you know, Andy Warhol. How cool is that? But Andy, Andy Warhol, he hung out with the hipsters. I, I hang out with Jack, which is even hipper. Um, I think Bowie's just trying to get a portrait done maybe by Warhol. What a cool tune. What a, what, Flatter him a little bit? Get a picture? What, what, unbelievable. And, you know, the, the Andy Warhol picture that, I don't know, I have it uh, blazoned into my brain is that one of the Campbell Soup. That's just a classic, classic piece. Uh, an Andy Warhol piece uh, that was 1600 bucks to commission uh, went for $38 million at auction. Hey, uh, Robert Heffel on the line, uh, one of Canada's premier art auction dealers. In fact, I, I'm going to assume you are the creme de la creme of uh, auction houses in Canada when it comes to fine art. We are the uh, by far the uh, largest auction house in Canada. I'd like you to say uh, otherwise. <laughs> I'm kidding, um, but no, you don't. Yeah. don't <laughs> you're, but no, it's cool. Andy Warhol, we we yeah, we have Andy Warhol's at Heffel. We have Andy Warhol's coming up this fall, actually. You do? Oh, that's. And we sell them. We do sell. We sell them in our um, online auctions as well, or monthly at Heffel.com. But we have. Um, you were mentioning Mick Jagger print. We have a Mick Jagger um, print coming up. In auction this fall. I don't know if that's the same one that you saw. I bet you that might be the same one. The well, from the same edition. The the presale estimate is forty to sixty thousand Canadian. <laughs> so that's uh, how 15, long ago? Did you see not this? four years ago was fifteen to twenty five thousand uh, euro. Okay, oh boy, well, that'd be about four. That'd be four. That'd be that'd be forty Canadian, forty five Canadian. I did better. I did better. 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 My my stock portfolio did better in that period of time. That's, that's pretty good returns. A fifty percent return store. Of, it did better than gold uh, over that period of time. I'll take a Warhol over gold any day. Uh, but gold is a little bit more liquid. So I go back to folks. If you're going to buy art, 
uh, you really have to think long term. Uh, certainly, if you buy the right stuff, according to Robert Heffel, and you can think in terms of decades, uh, money will be made. Just ask the Steinberg family. But you must buy the best of the best. And when Jack and I, you know, there's 10 sectors out there in the market to buy 10. You know, there's financials, there's healthcare, there's technology, consumer discretion, there's staples, utility. You must buy the best of the best. Look at their long term track record. Get some ideas to where they're going forward and hang on to it for the haul. Forget the noise. You'll do much better. Because I, I would have to ask you, Robert, when 2008 financial crises, uh, everything went down. All assets were correlated to one, which means everything fell. Real estate went down. Stocks went down. Most bonds went down, but U.S. Treasuries actually did rally. Uh, what happened to art? I'm going to assume it went no bid. There was no market for art. The, the buyers were all gone. True or false? Uh, false. We had a um, we had a sale um, fall 2008, and it, it did quite well. Um, there was definitely a market. The Canadian art market actually held up um, surprisingly well during the financial crisis. Um, you know, there were some. Our, our clients have some fairly deep pockets, and they, you know, when a great works of art, when a great work of art comes up, um, they know how rare it is, and um, there's always a market for for that special piece. That's, uh, one, that's one of the benefits, so the too, market. of alternative assets, Wolfgang, is that uh, a lot of the time we talk about them not being as efficiently priced. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you don't see that mark-to-market, day-to-day volatility with them. So it gives people that have wealth and want to preserve that wealth and don't want to be caught up in the noise it gives you, it, right. it gives them peace of mind knowing that you know what I don't have to worry about the price fluctuations every day. I know that it's a good store of value if I can hold it. I haven't bought it on leverage, so I'm not going to be forced selling it. Right. So there's a good opportunity if you can store that value so what, in, in alternative assets. So what I want to get here from Robert Heffel beyond the group of seven and stretch to the group of eleven with uh, Tommy, Tommy Boy, Tommy Thompson. Just gotta show some respect to that brilliant man. He's one of your better group of seven or group of eleven artists, I think, from what I know. But uh, give us some give give us a stock tip in the world of art. Give us a name that you think is a real good up-and-comer uh, for a long-term Canadian art investor? You know, the market seems to be going um, more contemporary, so post-war contemporary. So um, it is a good idea to specialize, and it's not too difficult to become an expert in a, in a, in a certain area. But, you know, in terms of names, I would suggest maybe looking at... Um, post-war 1950s abstraction or, or 60s abstraction. Jean-Paul Riappel is a Canadian artist who's international. He would be a good name to buy. Um, Jack Bush, uh, one of Canada's premier color field painters, but also an international artist. These, these artists are um, a little bit more expensive, but Bush did, Bush did prints as well, so you could buy a very fine Jack Bush print for two or $3,000. Um, you know, there's other good names. Obviously, the Group of Seven would be would be something to look at, but that that's not as contemporary. But what what about more? What about yeah? What about Moriso? What about Moriso? And then um, out in Newfoundland, the fellow who did all the whales is it is it Black? David Blackwood would be an artist that I would highly recommend. I love his work; um, very moving. Blackwood, Blackwood is a Blackwood, phenomenal. That's the one. Yeah, David Blackwood is a phenomenal, one of the world's most important printmakers. So how do you buy? How do you value that? I mean, if he's he's one of the world's great storyteller printmakers, and you could buy them for from a thousand to ten thousand. Uh, we hold the record for Blackwood in auction, and. Um, you know, when I say a thousand to ten thousand, his record piece, I believe, is it's fire down, fire down in the Labrador, and we just 
had that record. It was um, gee, it's somewhere around seventy thousand dollars for but, a print. But not all Blackwoods are seventy thousand. Uh, yeah. David Blackwood, um, I would highly recommend Blackwood, an artist that, that like, beautiful stuff. Again, it's kind of crazy to compete or compare Blackwood to Warhol, but sort of similar. An artist that was a phenomenal printmaker. Um, there are a number of works out there, but that is a good thing. Yep. And they do so, trade. And um, I'm, so I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track artist. then with him. And the last one, again, the rapper, more so. Because, uh, again, if you now go into Cottage Country, Jack, you watch your local grocery store in Cottage Country, they're going to have a print of a Morriso for the local hospital up for auction. And they actually have about 18 of them. So if you bid for it, you're going to get it, plus 18 other friends. But they're cool. So, but an original Morriso, uh, on a go for basis, is, is, is that still a hot brand? Um, more so, I, although we, we recognize that uh, uh, he's a very important artist. He's not an artist that Heffel, it's not a market that we deal in. Well, um, uh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, Robert, I got to go, buddy. I, I hate to say that the hammers come down on me again, buddy. I'm going to get in trouble. But a real treat having you on. Uh, Robert Heffel, uh, vice president of Heffel Auction, the second generation business. His father founded it. So uh, good pedigree, I shall say. Uh, good, often, uh, authentic uh, individual he is. Uh, real pleasure having you on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, I wish you a great season. More of it right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show about money. And yes, if you die before you get old, you don't really need a whole lot of it. So your problems from a financial point of view could be solved. But that's not what we hope for. No, we hope you long live and prosper uh, and think long term and take care of yourself and have some good fortune. The wind at your back, as my father-in-law said to me the day I got married, may the wind be at your back, Wolf. And well, I must say the wind is at my back. God has been good. Uh, yes. So there's two groups of clients there, Jack, two groups of people as far as I can say. We're going to sum you all up, the whole lottie, into two groups. On the left, we have those who work and save and invest. And then on the right, you have those who consume the money that they have saved and invest. So you have savers and then you have consumers. Uh, in other words, pre-retirement, post-retirement. Uh, lots of similarities uh, where you're still investing, uh, just less aggressively. Um, you deal with volatility. But differently, and this is the point, uh, entering retirement is stressful and the volatility seems to rattle uh, retirees a lot more. Uh, so to help us with that, uh, I brought Michael Bellamy in, uh, our financial planner, uh, a frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio. Michael, thank you for joining us yet again on the show. Thanks for having me back, Wolf. Wolf. So, so Mike, let's talk about the emotions that, that newly retired clients um, go through because uh, often they meet with you before they enter retirement shortly before six months before they're about to retire with Jack said, let's get back and do a financial plan tune up sit down with Michael let's go through some numbers what are some of the common questions and concerns Michael that clients are presenting to you as they are just about to enter retirement yeah so the biggest the biggest concerns for most clients and I just had a meeting this morning with similar similar concerns around that was one where's my money going to come from where am I going to take it out of? You know, all these years you've had money being deposited into your bank account from working and it wasn't a concern. Now all of a sudden that money train has stopped and we need to find which investments we're going to take it from. Yeah. Secondly, am I going to run out of money? 
right, going yep. forward, um, what's going to happen in long-term projections, and two, what are the risks of my retirement portfolio? Should we be changing the portfolio? Should we be trying to produce more income? What should we be doing from that standpoint? So, you know, when we look at it from that standpoint, you know, kind of going back to those returns, a lot of times we, we talk to clients about, you know, making sure that there's not too much volatility in the portfolio. So you look at, you know, three different options that we, we've kind of put together for clients just as, as a visual. Um, you know, you look at a million dollar portfolio, um, assuming 7% or 6% return um, over a long period of time. And we've got kind of broken down into three different blocks. So you've got the the constant return. So basically looking at 7% every single year. Mm-hmm. If you were to draw out 100,000 on that portfolio every year, um, by year seven, you'd have roughly around 740,000 of capital left at that point. Um, so basically, if you, sorry, if you drew a 10%, basically 100 grand on a million is 10. Yeah. So if you drew a 10, but you only grew it at seven, yeah. obviously. Uh, but the issue science- with that one too, obviously, Wolf and Mike, is the fact that there is no 7% guaranteed return uh, in this market right now. Back in the day, you correct. could buy, no, a, there isn't the, you could buy a corporate I, bond ladder and you probably get 7% or very close to you it. You are correct, Jack. Uh, inflation was higher back then, obviously, so your real return was less. But uh, the fact is that there, there is not that smooth return that the not retirees are looking for. No. Yep. Uh, and the fact is that they do have to take some risk and volatility to generate a 7% return, and it's typically not in a smooth line. No, no, 7, seven is not an easy number for a retired person to generate, is it, Mike? No, exactly. So that's that's why we kind of show them this, that, you know, that's looking at like a smooth return every single year. Right. And then we but start- then, then we step into reality where you don't get a smooth return. Ex- then what happens? Exactly. So now when we look at it, and, and you know, again, the same 7% annualized return over a seven-year period- but if you start off in the early years, so year one and two, down in a negative territory versus up, yep. you're looking at almost a $300,000 spread by year seven. Right. Now, I'm going to interrupt right here, and then we're going to go to commercial break because I'm getting the wrap here. But every four years, the stock market tends to be down. So one in four of you out there is going to enter retirement and see your portfolio drop in the first year. And that is going to cause you some concern. The key is to understand what you're getting into and have the proper portfolio to begin with so that you don't do the wrong thing at the wrong time. But more of that discussion with Mike Bellamy on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. It is Saturday, my good friends. It's Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. We're here to help you. So one day you can tell your boss to take that job and shove it. Hey, and live on your terms, your terms. Look, the easiest way to live on your terms is start saving young. And if you're about to retire and you made some mistakes that you know you made, please help those underneath you, your kids, your grandkids. Tell them to start saving and compounding money early and learning about saving and managing money at an earlier stage. Unfortunately, we Canadians are forced to do it ourselves today. Back in the day when our parents had these beautiful pension plans or government jobs, someone else did it for them. Plus, they didn't live as long. Life expectancy is extended by 20 years. So we must plan a lot more. And 
As such, Jack and I work with our in-house financial planner very, very closely, and we try to put Michael Bellamy in front of each and every one of our nearly 300 clients that we manage personal assets for. Uh, so, Michael, it's a treat, and it's a pleasure uh, to have you in studio, uh, financial planner at Canaccord, uh, for many advisors, Jack and I included, and you do a very, very good job. Uh, so, let, let's carry on, Cl- clients entering retirement. So, if perchance they're unfortunate enough to uh, walk into retirement, and they have a down year in the market. How do we prepare them for just that uh, so that they don't do the wrong thing at the wrong time? Yeah, so we've, we've been looking at a few different strategies for, for clients. The, the, the one that works best for, for most clients is, again, diversifying your portfolio and looking at keeping you know, about one year, six year to one year month or year, sorry. Um, six month to one year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of, you know, not cash, but, you know, relatively unvolatile assets who, you know, look at a GIC, something like that, that allows you to have that cash available if there is a downturn in the market. It allows people really to extend their time horizons. Um, And Wolfgang talks about, you know, successful investors. To be a successful investor, the first thing you have to really do, you have to live within your means or below your means. You have to be able to save some money. And I'm going to say it's actually the same thing in retirement. You have to live beneath your means. You have to have conservative estimates and assumptions in your financial plan. You don't want to say, I saved a million dollars. I'm going to take 10% out a year because it doesn't work. And when you do get that downdraft in the market, you're going to get hit twice. You're going to take out 10% plus you're going to have a 10% correction in the market and you won't be able to recover from that. So you need to live conservatively within your means, both in retirement and when you're planning for retirement. Because I think with retirement as well, like life is broken out into two main categories, your work, and then you retire. I think retirement can sort of be, for many people, broken out into two categories. The first 10 years, the second 10 years. Because again, we now think sort of a, reti- a 20-year retirement just yeah. because it's But the funny math. thing too, Wolf, is that work is typically around 20 to 30 years. And, for, your, for, 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 and your retirement is going to be 20 to 30 years. No, no, back up, Jack. 20, 40 30, years, okay, back sure. You're, 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 but they're, almost, they're almost even though, right? Yeah, yeah, people actually those, enter the workforce now full-time, I would say. At 25? 30, 25, 30. 25, 30. 30, yeah. 30 yeah. I would say, at this Takes point. Takes you to 60, 65, and then your retirement from 60 to 65 takes you to 95 right yep okay that's i'm gonna hold you that number there for yourself my my point there wolf is (laughs) my point there wolf is that your time horizon in both basically while you're accumulating yeah whether it's 30 35 years it's a rounding error and retirement is going to be similar so your asset class you shouldn't get too conservative i think it should be two to one i think you should work twice as long as you're retiring jack's right because many people work for 30 retire for 30 or 40 but you're speaking government people i think the average canadian knows they got to work for 40 45 years Probably defer retirement. Now we're seeing more clients defer retirement 67 to 70 as opposed to 60 to 65. So defer. Yeah. But the key is we don't want to take to, take out too much and live beneath the means, as Jack indicated. But, I, you know, what, well, yeah. Mike, you said a good point here. If you put some dry powder aside and you can sort of take the stock portion of your portfolio and treat it like a piece of art where you can close your eyes and not worry about the volatility much better outcome, but that's so difficult to do because the media, you know, Jack and I get you all riled up every now and then. <laughs> that, actually, exactly, well, if that's yeah. the media will do that. And as financial advisors, we try and educate our clients to get them through those tough times uh, so that they don't overreact emotionally. So that in terms of value proposition that we offer to our clients, I think that's one of the most important. Yeah. Right. And that's why we like to review with the clients too, right? You look at, um, you know, if, if we're in a bit of a market turmoil, you don't want to be taking that big trip. Maybe you delay it one more year, whatever it might be. That You need to be adaptive just as you are when you're working. Yeah, and the long of the short, you don't want to take money out when the market is down. That is the key. The money's exactly. yours. You get to spend the money. Jack and myself and Mike are going to help you best 
uh, utilize and enjoy your money and make sure you don't outlive your funds. Have a little piece of art that the next generation can have as well would never hurt. Uh, that's it for the show, my good friends. I want to wish you a great weekend. Jack Hartle, always a great job. Mike Bellamy, our in-house financial planner, does a very, very fine job. If any of you need help, uh, have any questions, uh, you can always contact uh, Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com. Our numbers rock, and I mean our performance and our plan, they rock, rock, rock this world. Uh, High Five Radio each and every Saturday on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. You have yourself a great weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.